part of a building project. Ephesians 2 says it this way, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Lord, thank you for your church. Build your church, Lord, today. In, start in my heart, start in our hearts. Start in the very heart and DNA and fiber of this church. Build your church. I lift up the churches in our area this morning, Lord. Methodists and Anglicans and Enchiakak and whatever other denominations and movements that have worshipped your name this morning. I pray, God, build your church. Build homes and families. Add the lonely into families. Bring life and pour your spirit into every meeting and moment as the church gathers at the glory hour of nine o'clock now. I pray, fill your church. Build your church. Jesus, have all the glory. Thank you, God. Amen. The building of church is a sign and wonder. Even as I stood there last Sunday night worshiping with people I've worshipped for 30 years, I remember the moments and the encounters of God. I remember what God has done and will do again. We have actually entered into a little bit of a building project at our house, which means over the next weeks, you're going to hear analogies of building projects. Is that all right? That's how it works. Just, you know, pastors go on holidays and change things at their house to get stories for church. Just confession. But one of the things I'm most excited about that I've never had the privilege of is a dedicated study space where I can escape a little bit from the noise of my three boys and their very unique ways, potentially, but probably not from my black Labrador. Um, but at a moment, I never want to escape from my wife, obviously. That's why I didn't mention her. Um, but where I can be with God and have moments and just take time out. It's just a great privilege to be able to build, but it's this kind of void space at the back of the house where there used to be two trees and the project started. The first thing they did is they ripped out the trees and the tree fellers came in and then what they did is they dug the trenches for the foundations. They went a little bit extra deep and they built those foundations and the wall started to come out. But the master builder, his name being Henry Nell, the guy who's helping and advising our building project came and said, stop, stop, stop. And they, all the builders are like, what? said, no, we pulled out two trees here. They said, yeah. said, there's so much organic matter and roots there. Dig out the first layer. Get those roots out. Why? Because it's going to affect the foundation. It's going to affect the, the level of the, the, what do you call that thing? I'm struggling. Slab. Stay. Come, Michael. Come on. And, um, and so they took out the first layer. And then he came back the next day and said, no, no, no. Another 300 mils down. And so they dug down, right down, about 500 mils. They took all the sand out. And by the time they'd taken all the sand out, sifted and put it back, there was a mountain of organic matter. Like this. A mountain of roots that had pre-existed, that were still alive right now. That when you would have compacted the soil, they would have held their space. But as they died, that sand would have dropped down. Would have caused a crack. Would have brought a problem to that building. And so it cost two days of sifting sand. I watched these gentlemen, uh, and, and, and I've done a little bit of spade work recently. I realized that is the hardest job in the world. It literally is. For two days, I watched these amazing gentlemen spading out sand, sifting out roots to put it back in because the master builder said, this is important for the building of these walls. I want us to do that together today. As we build the church, we've got to understand our lives are the building blocks. And God's got to get in. And when he wants to build something up, he's first got to go down. 
and uproot and pull out the weeds that we think will just be covered over with the plaster of the gospel. Now the gospel goes everywhere, but they're those roots and weeds that come and they eventually die, which is a good thing, but it causes cracks if God hasn't filled those spaces. James 2 says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. When an apostle writes, must not show favoritism, why does he write it? Because there is favoritism in the church. He's writing to the church. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes, filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit, the, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Hi, boy. I'm going to jump to verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. I want to speak today about we, the church. I want to challenge us and speak about the price of preference and prejudice. Because when I read that scripture, it doesn't give a whole lot of space. The challenge is I've been in churches where there are VIP parkings for bigger givers. I, I, and, and if you haven't, wonderful. But I can't read that scripture and just carry on unaffected. I can't. It's got to challenge myself as just a brick in the wall of the building that God is building. And it's got to challenge our ways and it's got to challenge our perspectives. See, perspective is a powerful thing. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, so from now on, we regard no one. Say no one. no one. You know what no one means? It means zero, not a single person. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. It means our point of view has changed. Our point of view isn't from this world, struggling, surviving, full of hatred and insecurity. Now, our point of view changes from God's perspective down as we see anyone and everyone. Said, though we were once regarded, once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Part of a newness in our spirit and the gospel getting in our hearts is a new perspective, not just towards God and towards myself, but towards mankind. All of mankind. So God's dealing with this. See, revival. The church cries out and prays for revival and we build revival center this and revival center this, but revival starts in here. Revival starts deep down on the inside and manifests on the outside and looks like revival. You don't start a meeting going, we're going off to revival. You know, you get on your knees before God and say, God, would you revive my soul? And when we understand that principle and we understand that God is building to a new standard, there's a new standard, and, and there's, that standard comes with a price. John 13, a new command, I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So today, the price of preference and prejudice. Here's the lie. As long as I'm not bad as, some, as bad as someone else, I'm doing good. That's the lie. That's religion. Religion is, I'm better than. I'm not as bad as. I meet the grade compared to. But Jesus comes in and he says, actually, there's a radical new standard for my church. A radical new standard. And we live in a world that says, don't judge a book by its cover. It's probably more appropriate these days is don't judge a Netflix movie by its image. But, but the challenge is we do. 
We are those people. We look with eyes first. Before we smell, before we taste, before we encounter, before we do anything. We look with our eyes. Let's be honest. Why? Because light travels faster. Because we're that quick to make a judgment. Because within this world, within five to eight seconds, a millennial, a young millennial Gen Z has already made and formed an impression of the person they're encountering based on two things, dress code and posture. Check everyone sit up a little straight tonight. Everyone's shoulders back, people. Don, shoulders back. Prejudice is alive and well. I wish it wasn't. And there's a million different kinds. Race, gender, sexism, nationalism, classism, religious, it doesn't matter. Driving down the street, uh, there's someone living on the streets. Oh, they must be this. They must have done this. They must have. On what basis? On whose understanding? On what conversation that you've had with that person? All, and then it's even more subtle. It's in the church. It's the justified prejudices we have. Uh, all Catholics are steep. No, I know some unbelievable Catholics who love Jesus. Yeah. So let's just yeah. get some perspective. Who love Jesus. We have a tendency to throw everything out because one thing smells a little off and so we throw everything else. And I'm telling you, the gospel demands a higher standard. Uh, all spiritful, you know those happy clappies? They don't read the Bible. It's in the church. All reformed or boring, stale Christians, all Pentecostals or Baptists or whatever little bracket you want to put people in. It happens in the church. If it's in the church, I'm telling you, it's affecting everything we're doing as the church. Or if we're from the Western Seaboard, or we're from Parklands or, or Sunningdale, or a public school, a private school. I lived in a city where once someone knew what school you went to, where you lived, and what you did, they knew who you were. I hate it. It's not the gospel. And I actually prayed to God. I said, God, take me out of the city because I don't want anyone to come to the church that I lead because I went to a school, because I worked at a place, or because they know where I live. I can't do that. UCT or UNISA, VW or Land Rover, or Tata Machans, Zimbabwean, Congolese, Capetonian, local Captonian, not local, privileged or underprivileged, rugby or soccer, well that one's easy, nah, just checking, just relax everybody, all a bit serious, and now the challenge is sometimes generalizing is helpful, like I don't, I, if I was stuck, we've been watching a series about people surviving in the wild. My generalizing thing that will be helping is don't eat any mushrooms. Why? Because a whole bunch of them will kill you. There's a couple of them, like Denny mushrooms at Pick and Pay, that you can't find. They would help me, but lo I just don't trust my... So that's helpful because it's not hurting anyone. It's not limiting the mission. Uh, my mission is not to save mushrooms. My dad had a prejudice. He put it in me. He hated anything green, like anything. He just didn't eat... Green things at all. And the problem is people catch what you got. They catch your prejudice. And you've got to then meet a wife introduced to avocados. I love avocados. Love it. Just happy to declare that. The challenge is the Bible says how we'll be known. We'll be known by our love. So if we're known by our loves, I'm telling you, our love has got to demand that we hate the word they and them. We've got to develop a hatred for the words they and them. We've got to make sure that it's ripped out of our language, they and them. I'm telling you, we've got to. Not because this is my preference, because I'm telling you God will not lower his heavenly relational standards to accommodate our earthly preferences and prejudices. He just won't. 
He's calling us up. He's not coming down. He's already come down. So it challenges us. Prejudice is this favorable or unfavorable. You can have a favorable prejudice and an unfavorable prejudice towards anyone and anything. And your background, your circumstances, your past experiences, your past pains, your parents, your story, your schooling, your privilege, your lack of privilege, it all factors into these things. And now the challenge is we come to Jesus, Jesus take me home, and he does. But then he says, let me take you on a journey to make you like me. And then he starts building. Because if he doesn't, the roots are still there. And when he builds a building up, the roots will crack, the foundations will crack, the building will crack. And as soon as he puts something above the ground for his glory, and we've seen it time and time again with church leaders and Christian leaders and people who declare the name of Jesus, and when they receive their academy awards, it's all about God, but then it all falls down because there's cracks because they didn't deal with the roots. We'll be known by our fruits. This is a big issue for the church. Challenges. Colossians 3 verse 5, put to death all that is earthly in you. Welcome to church, guys. Nice and easy. It's going to be fluffy and soft. Now the Bible says, put to death. Death. Kill it. It's a bit of a violent action. Put to death. <laughs> Some of you are like, I wish I'd skip church this Sunday. <laughs> we was... <laughs> We have such a high of the All Blacks. Now this oak's preaching. <laughs> Three points. Number one, prejudice can cause you to miss Jesus. Just to miss him. Jesus calls Philip and Nazareth. He's busy gathering his crew, his, his homies, his disciples. He's walking with them. It says in John chapter 1, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. That comes with perspective, that comes with a history, that comes with a, a language, a way. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's excited, he's pumped, we found Jesus, the guy Moses, we're pumped, come on. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Philip had no lenses. He just saw Jesus. The challenge is we jump into the situation and Nathaniel has a prejudice. He's, he's processing his prejudice and immediately hears Jesus from Nazareth. The irony was he wasn't from Nazareth. He'd grown up there, but he's from Bethlehem. He's born in Bethlehem. So it wasn't even a truth. It was just a declaration that was spoken, but because he heard the word Nazareth and he thought Nazareth, small little town, not very consequential in the big story. And, and he, he gets exposed. He thinks this little town, 2,000 people, and there's no real compliment for that story. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Take Nazareth, Nazareth away. What if you put in other areas depending on your prejudice? Can anything good come from Atlantic Beach or Danun? Because prejudice works both ways. Eh? Yeah. It, it, don't imagine it doesn't. 
Can anything good come from a young single person? Can anything good come from an older? Can anything good come from that place? Can anything good come from? No, I'm telling you. What was at stake here? What was at stake was Nathaniel's opportunity to follow Jesus, have his life completely changed and become a disciple of Jesus. And I'm telling you, if he couldn't get over that prejudice in that moment, he would have missed Jesus. Because of a prejudice against a place, he would have missed the person of Jesus. And we're at the same risk every day. You want to know how we lose our potential as a local church? We make quick and judgmental standards without even trying. All of us. This is challenging. Paul the Apostle spoke and challenged. I want to jump ahead a little bit. Point number two, prejudice will keep us from our mission and mandate. See, the thing is, we yes, we encounter Jesus. Number one, prejudice can stop us there. Secondly, prejudice can also keep us from a mission that is to reach and save the world. Your mission has been given. The great commission has been given to all the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. Mm, don't like the ones that eat too much spicy food. Don't like those first world ones, you know, entitlement. Don't like those ones. Yeah, they, you know, those guys don't wash their hands as much as I like to. Go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 9, there's a scenario that plays out. And this is the scenario. Saul is famous. He's this well-educated Jewish man who's now a Roman citizen. And he's famous for persecuting the church. So famous. He's recorded in scripture as the guy standing over giving, giving approval to the stoning of a disciple of Jesus. He's standing there, and the Bible literally says, Paul was standing, Saul was standing over it, approving what they were doing. And then this happens. In Damascus, there was a disciple. He encounters God, Saul. He's blind, blinded by the glory of God. And the story plays. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. It's the only street mentioned in the Bible. Straight Street. <laughs> and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, many rumors, much gossip. I've read the articles. I've got a subscription to News 24. I've seen it all, God. Do you even know? And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's got a mandate to put me in prison, God. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument. Can you imagine Ananias' heart? He's just seen Stephen stoned. He knows the stories. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then he wrote 70% of the New Testament. If you don't know who Saul became, 
He became Paul, the apostle, writing Ephesians, Galatians, Romans. Because a guy named Ananias got over his prejudice. And you can say, but it was justified prejudice. He had murdered. He had condoned the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's literally there smiling, looking into the eyes of God, and he's getting stoned. Paul was going, carry on, doing a good job. And Ananias gets called to go. You've got to put yourself in these situations and say, God, is God God? Because if God's God, you've got to get over your preference. Let me just deal with preference. It's different to prejudice. Prejudice is easy to name. It's easy to see. It's very real. But preference, hmm. I just prefer not to drive there. I prefer not to hang there. I prefer to have coffee with this person. It's not sin, is it? I prefer, no, in the mission and the manner of all people, all nations, a gospel for all. Had the privilege of going to a church on the south coast of KZN years ago and meeting a man who had transitioned the church in the leadership from another man who was a German soldier who oversaw the concentration camp he was in. He took over the church from a man who was his prison warder. When God says, this man's my chosen instrument. Heidi Baker puts it this way. She says, to truly love, you have to love the oppressed and the oppressor. To truly love. To love one another. To truly love. To live a Bible standard of love. We see, we take Bible scriptures and we want to put our standards on them and that's not what the gospel allows. See, God is committed to pressing your buttons and my buttons. And it's going to be different for all of us because our experiences are different. Our experiences are different. I'm so grateful. I grew up in a home where parents had encountered God. My parents. And it changed so many things in the language of my home, but I would realize when I went into other friends' homes, things were different. The language used for certain types of people, colors or nations or whatever, was very different to my home. It was so evident to me that the gospel's got to change something because my dad's name is Abraham Karl Greiling van Pletsen. He's an Afrikaans man who grew up in the Midlands of Natal on a farm. His experience had to be clashed with the gospel and something had to bow its knee. And I didn't inherit a racist father. Because a glorious father got in my father's heart. If you'll let him in yours, he can fix it too. And lastly, simply this. The price of prejudice is too great. Ever heard of Jonah? Jonah had such prejudice. He had such prejudice, he cared more about a dying leaf on a plant than 120,000 people who were going to die. It goes like this, if you don't believe me. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah's now walked away from the call of God. He's like, ah, I'm grumpy. He's sad because the plant died that was keeping him shade. It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. Have you ever heard of a more melodramatic chap in your life? He's like, his plants died. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals, just in case Jonah was an nature lover. He says, I've called you to go preach the gospel. There's 120,000 people going to die, but you're worried about this plant. The price is too great. I'm not trying to make a political point. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. My job is to preach the Bible so that disciples stand up. My job is first to preach it to my own heart. That deep. My heart out of the presence of God that is selfish. Rather hang out with people like me because it's easier. What is people like me? Well, they went to my top school. And mankind tries to do it all the time. We call on some climbing ladder and we're trying to represent and we think those and we make statements like, oh, I watch my friends and my friends. Well, what you're basically saying is watch those I aspire to be like, I want to hang around because maybe I'll become like that. Then that's not what the gospel's about. The gospel's about who are you lifting up, not who can lift you up. The gospel is about who in your life or around you so that like Jesus, you are reaching down and lifting up. And you're buying into the principle that you'll stand on the roof and you'll reach through a roof to get someone to Jesus, to make sure they get to Jesus. Because that's love. Because that's life. Because that's eternal peace and joy. And that's something that'll count. The problem is we live in a world where it's I like the you, I like the me I see in you. I like the me I see in you. I look at you and I say, well, we maybe had similar background. Maybe you'll laugh at my jokes. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't mind if I made that little prejudicial comment. Maybe if I put a certain food on the table, I wouldn't have to think twice. You know, if I had someone else, maybe I'd have to think, would they eat it, wouldn't they? I'm talking about just in the church, let alone the mission. It's no longer 120,000 people. It's 10, 9 billion people. 9 billion people. The gospel says, I love the Jesus I see inside of you. I love Jesus because I love Jesus. My preferences have to bow before the Almighty. Don't get distracted about them. God's got to do something in us. Back to the roots. I'm so grateful for a master builder who stood on the land and said, under the soil, there's a mountain of roots that if they don't get pulled up with hard labor and work for two days, this slab will break under pressure one day. And I want to tell you about the master builder in our lives. We live in a world that as long as I keep myself safe and as long as I position myself in the right place, then I'm safe. And I'm telling you, the safest place you can be, sir or ma'am, is in the fire if that's where Jesus is. It's in Elias' pit if that's where Jesus is. Facing a Goliath if that's where Jesus is. But if nothing else today, I just pray this. 
that the Spirit of God would speak to your soul and mine.